Hey, what's up? So this week we got another bonus broadcast for you with uh, Greg Sestero from The Room. Um, this is actually the 12th anniversary this week of The Room's release. Uh, and I got him in a room with uh, Michael Rousselet, who is one of the guys from Five Second Films, who uh, co-directed Dude Bro Party Massacre 3, which uh, Greg Sestero was also in, which I came down to watch this week. I'd been wanting to get uh, both these guys in the same room for a while now. Uh, Michael Rousselet is actually one of the people that helped make The Room a cult hit and was like one of the first people who told all his friends like, hey, you got to see this weird, crazy, terrible movie. Um, and so I got them both in the same room and we talked for an hour about uh, The Room and about Tommy Wiseau and I had a great time. So I hope you enjoy it. You got to tear me apart, Lisa! In a few minutes, bitch. Do it. We're ready to go. All right, so... Um, let me just start with uh, you, because one of the because I've I've read, I've listened to the Disaster Artist uh, twice on uh, audiobook now, so I feel very uh, <laughs> up to up to speed. By the way, that's like one of my favorite audiobooks of all time, just because not a lot of books, you know, necessarily gain that much uh, in the audiobook form compared to reading it. But like the fact that you do all the accents, like I can, I'm trying to. I was trying to imagine if I would be able to hear it in Tommy's voice as well if you hadn't been reading the whole thing. That was actually one of my favorite. Th- that's why I stuck to my guns to to do the audiobook because they didn't want me. They wanted some professional narrator. Oh, really? And oh, no. I just thought, no, there's no. Because getting, getting to play Tommy is the role of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And having experienced all that firsthand, I, I felt like I had to do it to bring that character to life. So. Yeah, and it was really and and not only Tommy like Tommy is one thing because he's got such a, a distinctive accent, but then even like some of the minor characters uh, like Sandy, where it's like a really subtle uh, impression that you do, but like you really got a mental picture of like what he looks and sounds like from the from your impression of him. Yeah, that was one of the things when I was doing the book with with my co-author. We watched the behind the scenes footage and kind of came up with each character's voice. And mm-hmm. Sandy was so like specific, you know, he was like kind of this Hollywood guy. Um, you know, he wore the, these Magnum PI shirts, and mm-hmm. so it's just trying to capture that character. And um, Tommy, yeah, <laughs> it's like this deep kind of. <laughs> yeah. I think the the uh, the name was Magnum Pastrami that we came up with <laughs> nice. for Sandy. <laughs> Um, so the one the one gap I think between uh, like the book and my knowledge now, like, can you tell me how you sort of discovered the room? Oh me, yeah. Oh man, um, it was in 2003. I saw a trailer for it at the Sunset Lemley, mm-hmm. and it was the most abrasive, ridiculous trailer I've ever seen. But it was, it seemed like it was a drama, like it was trying very hard to be very serious. But it, for some reason, it just made me laugh. And I was the only one laughing in the theater, and then immediately were there the, other people in the there theater. There were other people in the theater, but I was the only one. Just I was I, I just felt smacked in the face with the with the trailer. I just had to laugh. I was like nervous by it, you know, a film with the passion of Tennessee Williams, mm-hmm. um, electrifying drama, and um, so then it just it came and it went and it left my life and I I immediately kind of forgot about it. And then about two weeks later, I saw uh, a billboard. Uh, with a marquee saying The Room playing at this theater. And I was like, why is that boring something in the back of my brain? Why is this familiar? Oh, my God, it's that movie. So I, you know, grabbed two of my friends that were with me, and I basically held them hostage because I was driving. I'm like, we are watching this movie right now. Mm -hmm. And looked up in the paper whatever time it was playing, and it was playing not too far from when I grabbed them and held them against their will, and we went up to the... (laughs) <laughs> we went up to the uh, marquee, and the marquee, uh, sorry, what's it called? The box office had a sign that said, no tickets for the room will be refunded after the first 15 minutes. And I was like, okay, that's really funny. And then we were like, you know, three for the room. And they go, well, this movie's really bad, guys. <laughs> Everyone walks out. <laughs> and they pointed to a review that was an IMDb review, and the review that they had stuck on the, the window said, this film is like getting stabbed in the head. <laughs> and I was like, we, now you got to see it. We got to yeah. see it. And we bought the tickets, and they gave us three uh, original soundtrack CDs and, like, little postcards. And we're like, well, holy shit. Like, this is even worth the cost of admission. So we're all alone in the theater, and... You know, we just started calling friends immediately after saying, we're staying for the next screening. You mm-hmm. have to see this movie before it disappears. And what was like for for either of you, like what was the point at which you it w- felt like it was officially some sort of phenomenon? I would say for me, when I got 
a call from um, Clark Collis at Entertainment Weekly. The, he wanted to do an article on the film. Mm-hmm. That kind of blew my mind. And, and I figured when the article eventually would come out, it'd be like this big, like two sentences, you know. Yeah. And it ended up being like a six-page article in Entertainment Weekly. And, it, and at that point, I just I could not believe it. <laughs> That's when it changed from every month being sold out at the Sunset Lamley to now immediately after that article it was they all five theaters in that lemley were sold out the line was yeah it was like over a thousand people and then it started showing in new york london it just really took off from there (laughs) yeah yeah where have you traveled with it to screenings uh in other places at all yeah i've been just about everywhere with this damn movie (laughs) (laughs) i've been to ireland i've been to australia um, it's now screening in Spain, mm-hmm. Portugal. It's going to start screening in China, I think, Tommy oh, wow. Tommy. So <laughs> I can't wait for the censors to get a hold of that. And you think like everybody, I mean, does it seem to translate well outside of uh, the U.S. even? Yeah, it does really well in the U.K. Like uh-huh. I feel like with right. their sense of humor, they, they really love it. Uh, there was an event in Paris, actually, and they really got it. So I think it's just one of those things that's so absurd that it, it, trans- it you know, it translates. Yeah. I mean, it's like the the art of cinema translates over, you know, the whole world. But even the art of bad cinema, the fart of cinema, the fart of cinema. <laughs> yeah. But I think also when Tommy appears on screen, you just kind of wonder, like, what the hell right. is this thing? I think that just internationally really works. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the draw of the disaster artist because, you know, I see all these things about cult movies and they're like, what is it that makes this like a cult phenomenon? I think every single movie that's sort of uh, a cult phenomenon there's a mysterious weird like auteur that goes along with it and it's sort of like you want to know what is up with that dude basically yeah like what message is he trying to send like yeah. clearly like he funded it he wrote it he starred in it like there's something that's trying to be mm-hmm. told here and you're just it's it's so out of touch you're you're, st- you're still trying to figure out what what the point well, of it it's is like, right. it's his point of view like this is tommy's world mm-hmm. and it's this is and where did this lens. guy come from and what yeah is deal, i mean this know? is what he feels relationships are and this is how people talk right. and you're like what so you, the whole mystery and the charm of the room to me is who is tommy and like what is his deal and i think the fact that he's a mystery makes it even more interesting right yeah michael michael made a really good point he read i have the like original script from when we were roommates Mm -hmm. and it is it's a masterpiece and anyway i let michael read it and he made a great point that he said every character talks exactly like tommy Mm -hmm. it reads like (laughs) it. yeah and so (laughs) they all say the same things Uh, you know they're all best friends um yeah. it's it's yeah it's fascinating and i love how everyone loves johnny and and he, he's the nicest guy in the world right like he can do no wrong so i have a million questions about you guys being roommates but before that <laughs> maybe like just if you guys could tell me what your favorite room scene is oh man uh probably the the flower shop scene i know mm-hmm. it's, it's cliche to say now but when that when i first saw that i was like what is this scene <laughs> this moment and then the high doggy which just took it off yeah I think the the football scene in the alley where <laughs> I push Mike into the trash can. Why? I, I just. Why does he do that? I, it was in the script, so it was. <laughs> it's it like, was all about trying to capture that that moment where he falls down, and I don't know, just like opening that scene. You watch Johnny, and he, there's it. It's a it's a little alley. It's like enclosed, and mm-hmm. John at the beginning of it, Johnny's just walking straight towards the brick wall, <laughs> and if and if he wasn't stopped by Mike, he would have walked straight into the brick wall. <laughs> And so just the dialogue like about, you know, oh, underwear, I got the picture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's Me underwear is the weirdest line read in the whole movie. I was thinking that Mark thought that maybe he left some evidence that he had an affair with Lisa. And so, and Mike was catching on and then he had to shut him up. And that's why you knocked him out. That's what I thought. What's that? What's Uh, that about? And then you quickly like hit him. And to stop the conversation, and then I was like, "Oh, that's very clever," but I guess not. <laughs> it's it's so interesting to have people actually watch the room as a movie, because I just yeah. saw these these collection of scenes that, that exist in Tommy's world, and I was just right. there to survive it. But like, yeah, to think of that, you know, to try to get behind what the plot was really trying to do, yeah, mm-hmm. that's actually a clever point. Maybe that's what he was intending. <laughs> that's I don't the know. twist. <laughs> that's the twist. So I think uh, I really enjoy that you guys filmed like in a in this parking lot to try and recreate the idea of a rooftop 
and then you end up going to San Francisco where he like owns a building with an actual like you shot yeah, like the perfect <laughs> rooftop in San Francisco <laughs> right. with a view of Alcatraz, which would have been perfect. But we save those for the establishing shots. Like you basically shot the uh, the green screen shots from yeah. the location that would have you that would have eliminated the need for a green screen. Exactly. So what do you think is the most wasteful thing that he did uh, during the shooting of the Good room? Question. You know, it's tough to say because had had he done it, you know, the quote unquote right way, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be the room. So I, I don't really think anything was wasted <laughs> right. because it all it all paid off in such a big way. But I think the equipment probably, um, you know, get purchasing all the Apple boxes and all the equipment mm-hmm. is something I've never heard of he being didn't done rent before. Anything he just bought it all. No, right. he just he believed in owning everything. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think that to me is. This, I've, I've never heard of anybody doing that before. Right. And then obviously the, the the shooting in the parking lot with the green screen and then having to, to CGI in that all after. But again, that his reasoning behind that was that he thought it would kind of add a special effect dimension. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be, it cutting, it'd be cutting edge. <laughs> but I feel like that that aspect of that rooftop, which makes it look like they're flying through space, uh-huh. is, a, is a huge component with the right. movie. So, And it's like if you know San Francisco, you're kind of just like, yeah, it doesn't, the, the, there's it, yeah. landmarks that are like run together and sort of just like, it's just yeah, off it and you can't look figure like out San why. Francisco. Like yeah. one angle, you see Coit Tower, and then the next angle, you feel like you're in Lebanon or something. Mm-hmm. You know? It all looks smoggy, like the city's <laughs> on fire. It just bad <laughs> and so uh all right so i the i'm trying to think of my favorite scene when uh, when you're talking about you guys living together so you you would just go to sleep and he would open the door and like start doing pull-ups like in in your doorway yeah because that was like the peak time <laughs> of his day so he he would work out during that time uh-huh. he would do like voice work you know and that's the time i'd be going to bed and so yeah i'd, I'd wake up kind of look at like four o'clock in the morning and i'd see him kind of pacing back and forth and like through the light and the darkness he kind of looked like a caveman mm-hmm. and i was like man what, what am i doing with my life <laughs> <laughs> and you, i'd see him like hanging upside down and then you know i'd hear him talking to whomever practicing voice work and saying like the same line over uh-huh. and over and then i heard him writing his script and then nothing so he's got the pull-ups. He's got like do, trying to lose his accent by saying the same phrase like eighty-seven times. He's got the tea going on, whistling uh-huh. for like twenty minutes before it's turned off. Uh-huh. Oh my god! It was it was the the <laughs> dream life for a, a twenty-year-old actor. <laughs> Did Tommy do his own dishes? Did he? Was he? I think I ended tiny? up doing most of them. <laughs> so and then he orders like the hot water at the re- like. What are some of the Tommy's weirdest personal idiosyncrasies? I, there's definitely the hot water. Um, one of the mantras I really liked when we were roommates, he had it up on the fridge. It was like, I, me, you, body, voice, mind, we all have that exclamation mark. <laughs> Did he write that? He wrote that. And mm-hmm. I thought it's, it's kind of brilliant, uh-huh. you know? And <laughs> yeah. then, um, yeah, he had the Hollywood reporters that were stacked up, which I used as pillows the first oh, night man. I was in there. Um, yeah, just uh, you, you coming home, you never knew what was going to be going on. And then the the black curtains, I felt like he was so intent on having that apartment, like his own corner uh-huh. in that apartment that he put up black curtains. How big was that area where he put up the black curtains? Was it just an area of like the living room? It was, or? Yeah, basically most of the living room was draped off of the curtains. Uh-huh. And that's so you'd walk, did all the writing. Yeah, you'd walk in and um, the black curtains would start about halfway into the living room. And then the the that big TV that was actually in, used it that he throws out the window in the room that mm-hmm. was that was our TV. Um, what? And, <laughs> he and destroyed then, his own TV. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then you walked in. There's like this little kitchen, and then the, the, my bedroom. You could just kind of beeline towards the bedroom. So, yeah, the black like when my brother walked in, he's like, "This looks like a theater. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks, you know." So it was probably the weirdest apartment in Hollywood. <laughs> That's saying something. <laughs> so you guys met at an acting class in Yeah, on Sutter Street, kind of uh-huh. right off Union Square. And like, do you ever think back to the to the day where you're like, what possessed me to be this guy's uh, scene partner? Yeah, you know what? He um, just going to class and watching him perform. It was kind of like 
you know, what you guys see when you watch the room, you just want more. Mm -hmm. And so I'd noticed that when I'd watched him perform in class, uh, before that night. And then I had come close to getting a role in a movie and, you know, living in San Francisco, the opportunities are not as frequent as here. And so I got really close. I went to like four callbacks for this role. And, and that was the did that morning I found out that I didn't get that part. And it was at a point where I was kind of like, you know, what do I just give up? Like, what, where do I go from here? And, um, anyway, I went to class and he was up there. He was like arguing with the teacher. And I just, I, I felt I was in like a destructive place. <laughs> and so I, fig- <laughs> so I figured just go up to him and want you know nobody else wanted anything to do with him so i was like why don't just be scenes with this guy see 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 where it goes mm-hmm. and you know from that point on every everything changed because i was i was thinking get a role you know that'll get me an agent and then i can move to la but it was really ending up meeting tommy was kind of like the best ticket to actually come to la because within yeah. like a week or two he's like oh you know a vacant apartment and like everything, it was like the key that kind of you know opened everything. Mm-hmm. That was <laughs> when he forgot to give you the key and he oh, gave the wrong man. key. Yeah, I. <laughs> that was a great moment. At two o'clock in the morning, getting the apartment it was a great start. The key doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I've had that happen to me, like when I lived in uh, I lived in an apartment in San Francisco, and the and the landlord was like doing some work, and then he forgot to put the key, like or he mm-hmm. told me to put the key in the wrong place, and the, like my neighbor. I tried to climb in the window and I, like almost got shot by a, no, <laughs> a neighbor. Burglar. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So we'll listen, w- listening to that entire scene, I was like, oh, this feels very familiar, and it feels like it's foreshadowed because you talk about Tommy's like enormous keychain, and then he's like, oh yeah, you can move into my vacant apartment, <laughs> and then it's like, of course he would give you the wrong key. Yeah, I just because everyone told me I was making the worst decision, and then getting there and having that happen and having to try to find. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, a hotel at two thirty in the morning on a Friday night in LA. I thought, man, everyone was right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they were right and wrong, and then <laughs> you were right. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I'm glad you became best friends with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so what do you? I mean, oh, the, well, the other thing I wanted to ask was, you know, throughout the book, Tommy is very private, and he gets upset when you, you know, like if you even mention his, like a, like a a throwaway aside like about his car or like a, the street that his uh, building is on uh, what's it been like writing a, an entire book like basically about him like well, is he since that point he's become a little bit more open like with the room you know emerging as a cult success and the more interviews he's done he's become a little bit more open but like for me it was really um you know i'd interviewed him when i told him i was going to do the book and i'd he, we talk about stories and stuff so really it was about kind of just sharing the experience of what it was like to to be around him during that time and and really keep you know the mystery because mm-hmm. i i feel like that's like what michael was saying is a big part of the appeal so it was really about sharing the story more so than like revealing a lot of like secrets he didn't want most of the stuff he he would stand by you know in in the book except for that the you know the room is referred to as the greatest bad movie he would just say it's referred to as the greatest movie mm-hmm. so that's the stuff he doesn't really care for but yeah, I think overall it's stuff that he would he would admit to, you know, he'd be open about. I mean, don't you think somebody could make like a le- legit good uh, biopic like about Tommy? Like he's had an insane life. I don't life. know if you could. I mean, you'd have to – a lot of the, the mysteries of Tommy's, I think even if you found out like where he was from or how old he is and all these things, um, it would just keep opening more doors of mysterious yeah. things. Like, I don't know if we can ever really know everything we want to know about Tommy Wiseau and be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I still feel, and I feel like it's kind of good not to because then you can always own your own theory. Yeah, of, <laughs> that's true. you know of of what 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 he's about. But I mean, you do go a long way in the book. Like, there's the whole uh, interlude with you know Pierre, where you kind of did that just come out of interviews with uh, with Tommy yeah. and like you're trying yeah, to piece together background. Yeah, because my you know I have family in Europe. My mom's French and. French was my first language. I've been to Europe many times. So I think that was kind of an openness we both shared. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he tell me stories about living there and kind of, you know, my mom was obviously an immigrant, you know, so he came and lived in New Orleans, kind of a similar story. So, um, yeah, and it's just trying to piece together what's what's there, mm-hmm. you know, and fill in the holes. And that came just from talking, like just different conversations that you had with yeah, him? Yeah, like I, did, I didn't find out about, you know, that, that incident in the police station in Strasbourg until 2010. So that was years into knowing him. Did he him. tell you about that? Yeah. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. And then and then so the best guess about like the origins of his fortune are that he just somehow had some sort of connection to trinkets or <laughs> Yeah, I mean he is a extremely hard worker. Like he yeah. that's he that's that's what he's about, you mm-hmm. know. And so I think he must have found connections and made things happen and you know, like what he did with the with the room. You mm-hmm. know, he probably took that same philosophy towards retail and and open stores, and yeah. people showed up. Counterfeit jeans. <laughs> he made a counterfeit movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think he parlayed that into real estate. And again, it's just one of those things you don't really know exactly how it all worked out. But I think he just finds a way. I think he's the. My theory is he's like the black sheep like little brother of some big like eastern european mafia mm-hmm. and they kind of like just give him a bunch of money so he just goes away <laughs> and that's just, that's what my theory is and yeah of course i've heard so many other theories i mean there was a lot of strange fortunes that came out of the fall of the eastern block that's for sure <laughs> Who knows? maybe he actually just won the lottery yeah, yeah i mean it's the american dream tommy wanted to be a uh, a movie star he mm-hmm. came over here, and he he is a movie star. <laughs> yeah, one one of the theories, and this didn't make it into the book, but that I had found out that he had like won the jackpot in Monaco, like on his 18th birthday or something. And I thought that was really interesting. And that came did that come from someone who knew Tommy or from that Tommy? was apparently a rumor that had been floated around his hometown. Um, and hmm. I thought th- I thought that was yeah I thought that was interesting. And I mean I it didn't make it into the book, but that story i don't know he's he's like fine you know he's lucky but he also works hard so mm-hmm. things happen he has a very uh jake gyllenhaal and nightcrawler quality to his personality <laughs> where he's kind of like he doesn't it doesn't seem like he has uh i mean he obviously doesn't have normal boundaries which is you know which definitely helps you when you're trying to you know get something from mm-hmm. people and being like persistent in a way and also yeah just sort of like a weird outsider, like, I don't know how to do this, so I'll look it up and then I'll just do it. Yeah. I sort of have no Yeah, he shame. doesn't really think about it. He just goes for it. You know, he's got that confidence. And just being around him for so long, it's amazing how many things happen when you just go for something, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, granted, it doesn't always work out exactly the way you, you'd hope for, but at least, you know, something's better than nothing usually. Yeah, it works out some way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he made a movie. How many people can say that? You know, a lot of people talk big. Tommy did it yeah he made a fucking movie it's so not wh- very cool have you found out anything uh else about the rooms uh other mysterious producers since uh you know the since you finished writing the book um not really i've <laughs> i don't know how much longer they were around while chloe you know, leads yeah she, um she passed away apparently a few years ago uh-huh. i heard it was sad <laughs> so and then what was the other there was another guy who's the listed as the casting director who yeah, um, I don't know what, whatever happened to him. Yeah, um, I don't even remember that guy's name. I don't know. I mean, mysterious people. I mean, who, uh, these are all just like Tommy connections. No one knows. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? So, what was your first, Mike? Uh, what was your first, um, like, what sort of uh, screening uh, trends? Because you know, there's like ever there's there's the whole cult around the room where you know people like throw spoons yeah, at the yeah. screen. Like, what are so? Like, I mean, how much of those did you have a part in? And uh, oh, my friends and I had a lot of involvement with the beginning movement. Spoons. We started the spoons. Mm-hmm. I pointed out the spoons first because I didn't notice that the first time. I, I was because I was. So we watched the movie twice in one night, and we snuck in fifteen people. <laughs> we stayed in the theater. Snuck him in, and I was just trying to pinpoint everything about this movie, dissect it as much as I could. And I think it was the third screening, I noticed the picture frame with the spoons in it, and I started screaming spoon <laughs> every time it showed up because I wanted people to, like, why is there a fucking spoon in the picture frame? Um, so, and then there's multiple picture frames that all have a spoon picture, well, one or is has it a just spoon, one? One has, like, a, a mascara tip, and the other one is a corkscrew. <laughs> that took a cup a while to But they're very out. prominently featured. Right. Yeah. Which is and weird. so that's just a result of him like buying a picture frame and then not taking out whatever the the yeah I think the art department just was scrambling to yeah make yeah. it look like a because they didn't have any pictures of like Lisa and Johnny together right. so they're like oh, screw it no <laughs> one's gonna see it who cares right um so yeah the spoons and then um uh, God you know counting on how many times they're best friends uh you know five oh noticing that they were together for five years and seven years screaming for the bridge during the go 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 because you're a woman. I mean, there's a lot of jokes that 
God. And also the, how they evolve, which was great. Every time you can right. see a room screen, there's people always bring new stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just fun to see how it just comes alive. What do you think was like the most creative uh, thing that you saw someone oh, else bring to the... I saw somebody ran down at the... Uh, right before Tommy says, hey, we're expecting... Uh, he does a little wave to the bottom left part of the screen. And somebody at one point ran all the way down there and was jumping at the bottom of the screen going, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Oh, right. And then, yeah. <laughs> you know, Johnny looks down and waves to the bottom of the screen. Like trying to match his eye line. I, I lost it. And it's <laughs> it's a staple now. Like, whoever, that guy was a genius. <laughs> right. And the, the one, two, fuck it. Oh, yeah. When too. he's pulling out the drawers. I was at one screen and somebody brought out a bunch of umbrellas. So whenever spoons would be thrown, <laughs> they popped up these little umbrellas to protect them. It was very funny. Yeah, that's a very secondary uh, screening trend. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff. It just the movie just I always see something new. Uh huh. I can't remember the last time I watched the, the Navajo painting. Did you come up oh, with that yeah, one too? Oh yeah, I came up with the Navajo sand painting. Uh, yeah, there was a sand painting. Oh, the nice uh, bubbly glass of champagne, <laughs> and it's wine in a champagne flute. Oh yeah, oh, what the was candles? What music? What sexy yeah. dress? And there's a reference to that in Dude Bro Party Massacre Three, when you're in the RV, and you go the candles, yeah, the champagne, right. the flowers, that banner I refuse to read <laughs> that says Happy Anniversary. On that note, is there a story behind like the Scotch vodka uh, concoction that they? It kind of seems like Tommy just had like no familiarity with anyone drinking alcohol. Ever. Well, in the original script, it's like cognac with chocolate. Uh huh. That, okay. Yeah, that was that's what it was supposed to be, and I think probably just the set people just grabbing whatever was there to kind of put it together. Uh huh. Yeah, I, maybe it's supposed to be vodka and apple juice, but it looks like you know it looks like Scotch. And that was something we started, Scotchka. Yeah. Because, you know, we're all drunk in the theater. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've probably only seen that movie sober once. Really? Mm-hmm. And I think it was the first time I saw it. I was sober. <laughs> I swear to God. So we had it on. Uh, I was telling Greg uh, when you're outside. Uh, we had it on. My friend, had a, who was a huge room fan, had a bachelor party up in Tahoe where we like rented a house for the weekend. And uh, it was just playing on a loop oh, the wow. whole weekend. And at one point there were like strippers. And they're like, can we put on some music? We're like, no, no, you have to leave the room playing. Like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so the audio of the room was playing? No, the video too. No, no, but like the video and everything was just playing, and the strippers wanted to dance to something. Yeah, and we're like, no. Oh my god. And then so like they're dancing, and then you can see Tommy's like butt muscles sort of like flexing. Definitely has like that was probably the scariest part is watching his butt muscles clench and unclench. That was probably the only moment that those strippers actually feared for their lives when <laughs> they were there. They're like, "What kind of crazy shit are these guys into?" Yeah, when you get to that point in the movie, I think you're just figuring, "Okay, let's probably turn this off." <laughs> so if you if you can get through those like the first fifteen, yeah, minutes. if you can get through that, then I feel like you can yeah. enjoy it. How many times do you think you kept Tommy from getting? Uh, charges filed against him just by being there and being like, no, no, it's okay. Like he's not gonna kill you. You know, like you're throwing water like, bottles or or like what's a, a mutiny. Like what's the craziest um, thing when he was auditioning people? Like he would have different well, like, bizarre see, things I, that he would cause do. Well, because I I knew Tommy from before, so I knew his intentions were there, and I knew he just his way of doing things were different. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, he was a really like nice, gentle guy. It just he just the way he did things was completely off right so like when he auditioned these girls he just throw them in front of the camera and like just say things at him be like you know your sister just became a lesbian <laughs> and they you know i think they thought they didn't know he was doing yeah, lines yeah even. and then they're like okay cut you know you don't know what you're doing get out and then you know the the water bottle incident on set mm-hmm. because i think you know because tommy he feels like he's generous you know and he feels like you know he provides food and all that and and so that one that one day when she's like, we don't even have water on set, I think he just flipped because it was it was her telling him that he's not professional. Mm-hmm. And I think he just took that. That was like his, you know, his his panic button. So he just flipped out and threw that empty water bottle. He's like, nobody in Hollywood will give you water. And he gave her water. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, is funny because like yeah, every other movie up. set, they kiss the talent's ass. You know, like you have food and just like. Tommy they're babying is, you. Tommy is the talent. Everyone right. is there, and <laughs> yeah. they're lucky In support. to be there for him. Yeah. So, yeah, that's great. Also, uh, another really – my one of my favorite parts of the book is when you're just sort of reading off different 
voicemails that Tommy has left you where he just sort of gets lonely and he's like kind of half talking to himself? Like what were some of your favorites that he that he left you? Um, I think it was probably like early on when I'd first moved. You know, he's like, um, don't be scared. Enjoy life. La, la, la. Oh, by the way, this girl Jennifer called me. You don't know her. She wants something. I don't know. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like just getting to L.A., you're feeling kind of lonely. You're going out on these auditions. And you're wondering, like, will I get, will I go anywhere? Will this happen? Coming home to those voicemails, you know, looking back, obviously it's weird, but it was kind of refreshing because it mm-hmm. kind of took your focus off. Um, wondering about what was going to happen. It just kind of made the whole thing more of an adventure. But it, I, yeah, it was out there. And yeah. He is a sweetheart. Like, I see that behind, like, the weirdness and everything, you know, he's a sweet guy. And he's got to be a real, genuinely good person for Greg to actually have a good friendship with him because he you're the nicest guy I've ever met. <laughs> and so it's like Tommy has to be spectacular in order, you know. Reading it, he reminded me of my dad because, like, my dad and I have a good relationship whenever we're not living together because, like, we're, like we're, you know, we love each other, but, like, he has all these uh, mannerisms that just, like, bug the shit out of him. Like, he chews really loud and, yeah. like, he can't go anywhere without, like, talking to himself and he's very, like, forward with people. So, like... It, Half the things he does just kind of like embarrass the shit out of me, even though like to everybody else, they're like super endearing and hilarious. But, you know, yeah, it's family. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like some of the things that like Tommy's quirks that, you know, actually like really funny. Like if you hit him on the left shoulder, he'll be like, God, now you do need to make it even. (laughs) So he's like, hit me on the right shoulder. (laughs) So stuff like that. It's it's almost like you marvel at it because no one else comes up with things like that. So most of the time you're laughing. But when you're living in a small apartment, you know, and you can't have the phone ring before noon, it's going to get awkward. And then you kind of, it seems like you had to translate him to like the outside world a lot. Yeah. Like the, just the people living in in the same building, you know, like explaining like the parking situation, like you can't go on this way and he'll, he'll like blow up. Cause he'll always assume that people are disrespecting him when they're mm-hmm. just actually saying something, you know, cordial or normal. And so, yeah, just kind of like, calming everybody else down after he blows up is always fun mm-hmm. tommy one time uh grabbed me out of a line i was in the line <laughs> to go see the room and i was in line to see the room and tommy goes oh it's michael it's the michael hello michael how are you and he grabbed my arm like really hard but i, I think he was trying to like be sweet and mm-hmm. pull me over to talk to me and he just grabbed it and he's like i want to show you something and i was like this is it. He's going to kill me. <laughs> and he took me and he's like, look at all the bobbleheads and the T-shirts. For you, I will give you a 20% discount. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's really sweet, Tommy. <laughs> and, it's uh, still going to be 100 bucks. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but he was trying to like be sweet to me. But his mannerisms, I, I thought he was going to kill me. Just <laughs> it's like he's got a uh, creepy uncle quality, but he's also cheap. So it's like, hey, little girl, would you like to buy yeah, some yeah. candy? <laughs> <laughs> got a little joe biden in him yeah <laughs> uh so like did you ever find out anything more about uh whether he was like a, a gymnast or something like he had really strong hands and he was doing like the iron cross on the rings yeah i mean i don't know how yeah, he can still do it and you know he that's sh- the one thing that he can do that i can't do so he always rubs it in my face <laughs> oh my god yeah. he's like try it try it and i was like no nah, i'm fine <laughs> Um, I think he just he did a lot of I, he's got like what Michael was saying he's got this really strong grip so I don't mm. know if he was like a like a pull up champion or something <laughs> back in the day or just maybe like he was he was in the Olympics just like a mm-hmm. child gymnast in some weird country Romanian pull up champion <laughs> in the water <laughs> yeah <laughs> pull up uh, you sort of the one part you you didn't really go I mean I guess because the book was more about the room and Tommy but you you sort of like you were in Milan mo- modeling when you were like seventeen or something right yeah what was that like um I mean it was pretty cool I got to get out of senior year of high school yeah uh, but it was a whole different experience I remember getting there and just feeling totally out of sorts you know you show up at these auditions or castings there's like five hundred people. Um, so, I mean, I guess it taught me a lot starting out, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I was happy to get home and kind of get started. I knew I didn't, that's not what I was wanting to do. So, um, but again, I think it was a really great experience just to be able to travel at that age. You know, I felt like mm-hmm. it, it opened my mind a lot, Being but it seems like the beautiful women. <laughs> yeah. doesn't that seem awful. like, it seems like it'd be like a completely bizarre, like surrealist world to be in like that insider of the fashion industry 
Yeah, it took me a while to appreciate it because I, I felt like when I got there, you know, it's it kind of sounds glamorous. But mm-hmm. when you get there, you know, your agency puts you to work and you're figuring out this whole new city and you're by yourself. And, you know, it was like football season, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of a very American in that way. Where uh-huh. it's like I was used to all that. So <laughs> did people um, just look at you be like. Uh, does anybody know when the 49ers game? Yeah, is that's on? what I do. I I tried to find newsstands that had like the USA Today, so I could find out all the scores and stuff. Oh, but I, I imagine that went over super well in the fashion yeah, world. Yeah, they like had no else. idea like what you're talking about. <laughs> but but yeah, in that regard, like as soon as I I lost that and became interested in what I was what I was doing, it was it was cool. And I got to go to like the homes of Versace mm-hmm. and um, Armani and hang out in these huge villas. And yeah, it just gave me a an opportunity to learn learn and meet people that I never would have had. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I've read a few books about the fashion people, and it just seems so. It sounds so strange. Where like some big designer, he's has like a he has like this entourage of like, oh, these are like my muses, and we just like go places and party, and like that's how I. <laughs> that's how I get my ideas they for get clothes. My ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So I was just trying to imagine what that would have been like to see firsthand. Yeah, I mean, it was. It taught me early on about crashing castings you know mm-hmm. it was like i didn't get called back for certain things and then i just still show up and pre- pretended like i had to be there and i act- actually got more jobs doing that really? than, than anything else yeah hmm. i just showed up and was like hey um i i got called back even though i didn't and ended, i ended up getting these like really cool shows uh, i did the same thing for this big cologne ad mm-hmm um, they had been casting for like a week or two, and um, actually, that the football thing worked out because I went to an American bar to try to find a playoff game, and there's this producer there randomly, not watching the game, just hanging out, mm-hmm. and he saw me. He's like, "Hey, come to the casting." Um, so I ended up getting you know a job that way and stuff, and then um, went on to Paris. But yeah, it was it was, it was cool. I mean, when they say that when you say you're getting cast in, uh, was these were these mostly runway shows or what kind of stuff? It was a little bit of both. I mean, what you do is you go there um, and work with photographers and ads, and then you go back for like the show season, Mm -hmm. which is like January, which is like where you see all the CNN like runway shows. And so, you I guess you go there, build up your book, and then that gives you a better chance to get runway shows. But the runway shows I got were just from crashing callbacks. Mm-hmm. So I learned early on you had to be crafty to to survive in this business. How much of Zoolander do you see, and that you see in, in like the fashion world that you were in? Well, yeah, <laughs> Zoolander was pretty dead on because I, I I was there in like '96, '97. Zoolander came out in 2001, so I definitely appreciated mm-hmm. like the guys, like the roommates doing sit-ups in the back. You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. it's just it's it's all it's all pretty ridiculous. You know, when you look back. Well, it seems it's funny because it's like this whole world that's you know. It, it presents itself as like the most glamorous you know beautiful thing and then most of the people involved are like 16 to like 22 yeah, yeah. well especially for females it's like the peak for them is like yeah like 15 16 to like 24 um and then for guys it's it's actually the opposite mm-hmm. like for a guy it's better like i think like 25 to 45 oh, like, really? like guys yeah you peak much later because you know guys aren't going to buy a suit from an ad from a guy who's like 25 they're gonna want you know Mm -hmm. more of an older rugged rugged guy so it's kind of a reverse um but in europe it's different if you want to do like calvin klein and all that stuff like they usually look for like late teenagers the Mm -hmm. the business it turns over so much right what was the weirdest thing you ended up having to wear or like the weirdest shoot you had to do um i wore one time i had to wear a sarong or whatever in a runway show and then I don't even know what that is. It's like a Polynesian wrap dress, kind of. If it was skirt, it was yeah. totally ridiculous. And then one time, there's this uh, very well-known photographer named David LaChapelle. Oh, rad, yeah. Yeah, who was like, he wanted me to do a shoot for him, but he's like, uh, I was like, oh, okay, this is great, whatever, you know, whatever. He's like, yeah, would you be willing to wear a thong? <laughs> I remember just thinking. Oh man, <laughs> my one chance to get to work with a big photographer, and that's it. Didn't, it yeah. didn't end up happening, luckily. But did um, other fashion people tell tell you like, yeah, you should do that? Because like, wouldn't wouldn't other yeah, people be like, what do you what are you thinking, man? Of course, I'm gonna go wear a thong for. Yeah, it's kind of like a photographer like that is is kind of like a Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. type. So you kind of do whatever they ask you to do. But looking back, you know, I'm kind of thankful. It You're glad you didn't do it. <laughs> kind of thankful <laughs> it didn't happen. Yeah, Greg Cicero in high art. David LaChapelle and the thong, yeah. Yeah, and didn't, uh, like, weren't fashion people get, wouldn't they get upset when you would admit that you wanted to be an actor? 
Yeah, because I think that you got to take they say you got to take modeling seriously, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I, it, Stop smiling. You have, this has <laughs> to be serious. Yeah. And you get on stage. Yeah, yeah, no, it's kind of a it's kind of a ridiculous business, but uh, I mean, I got to be grateful that it, it allowed me to travel the world, mm-hmm. and so I can't I can't really diss it. But yeah, it's it's not something that. I'd ever recommend. Right. And you met Tommy after you came back from yeah. modeling? Okay. Yeah, because I, um, I wanted to get into act. That was, you know, my whole goal. And so I, I did, like, a little thing on Nash Bridges. And then, um, yeah, started taking acting classes. Uh, I think Carlton Cuse was of Nash Bridges, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah oh, he was one of, the, you know, one of the producers, yeah. <laughs> and you were in Adam uh, Patch Adams, which is... That's right. I, I hate that movie <laughs> so much. And the fact that that I found out that you were in it afterwards, it just makes it the funniest thing ever because, like, I well, love The Room, but I hate Patch Adams because I think <laughs> Patch Adams is, like, the worst film ever yeah, made. Yeah, didn't you go on a date or whatever? I went on a date p- with a girl, and I had to watch it twice because oh. I just wanted to, like, make out with this girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I've never seen it. And I was like, fuck, it's the only thing playing. <laughs> and so I was, you know, constantly trying to make out with her, but she wanted to watch the movie. So oh, maybe God. that was another reason why. <laughs> well, luckily I'm only in it for, like, 4.5 seconds. And that was the seconds. part where she said, hang on, I want to watch this part. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, damn it, what the hell? I have a few friends that hate certain movies for that exact reason, where they're like on a date and they're <laughs> They trying, get cock blocked by a film. Yeah, and they're like, I hate, <laughs> fucking hate a few good men. <laughs> yeah, because especially in those moments, that movie feels so long and boring that... <laughs> I'm, yeah. so, I'm so sorry, but I did I did make it up for you with the room. Thank so. you. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, dude, you got to work with uh, Ron Williams. That's amazing. That's true. That's beautiful. Yeah. So thank you for doing the room. <laughs> that's okay. We're fine with that. Now we're even. <laughs> so have you have you traveled to see uh, the room any other place places? I got uh, I traveled to go see the room at the uh, Ziegfeld Theater in New York because mm-hmm. Greg was out there. And he's like, you should come and you should you should be a part of this. It's I can't remember what anniversary it was, but it was like the largest room screening in history. And so, hey, I'd never been to New York, so I went there, and it was it was insane. You should almost be like a screening consultant, where you like teach people how to yeah. watch the room. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, well, I've done I've done lectures at um, Cal State Fullerton and um, Chapman, mm-hmm. where I would come in and I actually gave like an hour long lecture at a cult cinema class about why the room is the greatest movie ever made. Yeah, I brought clips and it was beautiful. <laughs> and then they did a screening, and um, they were like, "Do you want a microphone so you can?" shout i was like oh no that's weird i'm just gonna scream <laughs> and tell everyone else because they they said do you want everyone else to be quiet so they can hear you i was like that would be the worst thing ever so everyone everyone should be screaming so you, sh- you should almost do your own riff for the movie <laughs> that would be fun yeah <laughs> and i got when i went to uh new york for the screening i'm you know i'm a, a publicity whore and i was wearing a five second film shirt as i'm wearing my dude bro party massacre three <laughs> right. shirt right now um, Don't have to convince me you're a publicity whore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a publicity whore. Uh, people came. I was like, "Oh, you, Mike Russley from Five Second Films. You discovered the room. Will you sign my spoon?" And I signed like five spoons from separate people. That was the weirdest thing I've ever, <laughs> ever had to do. Uh, but yeah, that was an honor. You know, I got to see this guy whenever he wasn't being mobbed by a bunch of people. <laughs> so you use uh, you use uh, the talented Mr. Ripley as sort of like this parallel uh, thematic element of 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 the disaster artist um uh, do you think that was a a conscious reference point for tommy when he was writing the room i think it definitely sparked something in him Mm -hmm. i think kind of the the extreme the extremity of like the kill and again tom ripley's just you know a guy who doesn't fit in who's not accepted and i think i think the the drama of it kind of made him feel like he could he could write something or create something that's just as powerful based off his life experience. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because he's he sort of, you know, he has elements of, of uh, Matt Damon in real life, but then when he writes the movie, like he sort of writes himself as just like the ultimate innocent yeah. good guy. Yeah, I thought that was, that was really interesting. Didn't he say he he uh, based your character on uh, Mark Damon? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, oh, I, I I love that so much. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, what are what are uh, what are your favorite ways that he's sort of butchered English in uh, in English idioms and funny ways? 
That's definitely at the top of the list. And then also human being. Mm-hmm. Yes. B-E-A-N. I love that. Yeah, he just has a way of putting his own spin on words that just become like, you know, you're tearing me apart. You're taking me apart. I love what's bothering you, Mark. What's bothering What's bothering you? I quote the room every day. It's funny. It's like someone could speak 10 languages, but if they butcher like one English phrase in the wrong, in like the smallest way, you're like, ha, 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 ha. It's so funny. It's so funny. Yeah. What? He speaks French and. Speaks a few, yeah, a few other languages. It's just the, like, I don't know, like the way he can like when, when he's describing the way he makes movies like in san francisco when we were just trying to convince the crew that we didn't need a permit um he's like we do like sa 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 style <laughs> it's, like, it's yeah. like it's it's just perfect i don't i couldn't think you know no one else would think of it that way but it, it just mm-hmm. works i think it's a ranchero song <laughs> sa, 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 sa. i think pretty sure <laughs> um so are, are you writing a second book aren't you like a follow-up um, I mean, I've had I've had great ideas and stories, but I haven't. Uh, that the first book took so much out of me. That really? I, yeah, <laughs> that I haven't I haven't thought about it. But there's, what, I mean, what was the hardest part about writing it? I think just I put so much into it. You know, it was so many years of kind of condensing all the stories and really trying to make something great. And then with edits and it's just like a puzzle you know mm-hmm. you're trying to just piece together all the things you feel like you really want to share and then what you know boiling that down to what's really important so yeah it just was it was so much work. it was very rewarding but it was just it was so much work you mm-hmm. have a great memory too you were pulling all these memories that are like how do you remember that and like very vividly in the book there's a lot of stuff that yeah that def- definitely helped i've always had kind of a crazy crazy memory where i just collect things and especially being around someone like tommy it's it's stuff you can't really forget right so it was coupled with that and then having the behind the scenes footage and my, michael was huge in helping me oh yeah get thank that on. you for and having me involved like you were se- he was sending me pages like every couple weeks yeah oh, just, really just like it was amazing it was great to see his response to it because i think you know first and foremost this book is gonna it's going to please people that have seen the movie. And so just to kind of hear his reaction to them really gave me a good, um, a good perspective mm-hmm. on the direction it was going. I actually read it before I saw the movie. So, and it sort of, I think, oh, what was that like? I think I saw it like in the middle of reading the book for the first time. And yeah, it definitely, uh, they're definitely good companion pieces. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the book makes you want to see the movie and, and vice versa, you know. My roommate was reading the book. Mike James was reading yeah. it. And he's seen The Room. He knows mm-hmm. about it. But immediately once he finished reading The Disaster Artist, he raided my Blu-ray of The Room. And he just, like, was upstairs watching it quietly alone all by himself. He's like, I just, after reading The Disaster Artist, I just, oh, my God, I just had to watch the movie again. It's yeah. So rich. Did you did you originally originate that idea to write the book, or did so, did someone say like, "Hey, maybe you should uh, write a book about this"? I I mean, I'd always thought the story like with Tommy and and the making of the movie was fascinating. It just who was going to want to read a story about a, a terrible movie that Me. nobody saw? And then, <laughs> yeah. But then, as it started to gain momentum and there was an audience for it, I figured. I mean if they knew the stuff that happened to get to this point, I think it would be, be nuts. Right. Also at the same time, I think it, it'd give a, it would humanize Tommy a little bit more that like kind of what he yeah. pulled off while, while it's, you know, it's a great, it's a, it's a bad movie. It's also heroic in a way that he came through and did it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I love about the book is it's not like, Oh, it's going to be a tell all book about Tommy and all the crazy shit he does. It's very sincere. It's very sweet. It's about friendship, and I and I I think that makes the movie even more powerful because it's about you know you were basically there for your friend to help him realize his dream. You know we may not believe in a lot of our friends' dreams, but we'll <laughs> help them do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it almost just together. a memoir with a really good hook, you know, like and because. I don't know. Whenever you're talking about trying to sort of find your path in life, that's always compelling. And it's that much more when you're like stuck in this house with this guy who has all these crazy quirks. And <laughs> and yeah, you know. and you're only there because that guy like gave gave you a shot. Mm-hmm. So it's like this weird twist. You like know? you can't untangle your life from his like ever. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh. like he. <laughs> 
It's, you stuck it's, with them. <laughs> it's like family, man. Yeah. I mean, do you think that uh, do you think that it's helping you get work at all now? Well, I mean, all you can ask for in this business is a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we all kind of got to find that thing that's going to allow us to to keep working. Mm-hmm. So with the room, it gave me a chance to still be creative and write the book. And um, you know, I got to meet Michael, and I got to be a part of his great movie. Mm-hmm. And you know, now there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of other stuff I'd, I'd like to try to do. I'm working on a TV pilot idea and I'd love to do more writing. And, you know, now there's going to be the whole adaptation of this book. And so. Oh, really? There's going to be a, a movie adaptation? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Very cool. You didn't know that? No. James Franco and Seth. Oh, Lincoln. that's right. I think I did. Yeah. I forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't wait to, you know, poke around that set. I'm just going to show up and sneak in there. And yeah. Try to get in front of the camera. I mean, between the book and uh, Dude Bro. I mean, I don't know if uh, if other people will have this experience. I'll, it, it's kind of just like, oh wow, like he's actually a really good actor. <laughs> yeah, you're you're great in Dude Bro. Yeah, like you're a lot of fun. I mean, that pretty much never happens where you know someone from like a cult movie and then, you know, like you find out they're actually talented. Yeah. Well, also like <laughs> the book is so well written, and you were giving me pages before. Um, the other author yeah, was yeah, really yeah, touching yeah, them. The, the editing. So and I was like, "You, this is amazing. Like, this is really well written." And I'm like, "Holy shit, Greg Sestero is an amazing writer." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no offense, you know, I watched the room and I didn't know that you were like, "Your, your words, your sense <laughs> of words, is so good." Yeah, and I think um, that that's kind of the other challenge is, you know, you're part of this thing where everyone is kind of basically wanting to stick to the fact that you suck, you know? <laughs> right? And that's that's what that's what they're gonna love you for. Mm-hmm. And so really, the challenge is to like embrace the room because like I got it early on. I thought it was hilarious, and the fact that you know that's one of the things I loved about meeting Michael early on. It was like kind of seeing this movie through fresh eyes, mm-hmm. and and it's like the way he embraced the movie was kind of the way I would have. And so yeah, it's like just working your way out of that. I mean, the room is never gonna be a movie that directly is gonna get you work. Now from this point on, you're gonna kind of have to prove yourself mm-hmm. and work you know work your way out of it but i think the book is sort of proof that you knew what was going on at the time you know like like if you watch other good bad movies like i don't think the dude from birdemic is going to be writing a book about <laughs> like you know I, I don't think he quite uh, yeah i think they they're they're kind they kind of belong in that world it's yeah like they're not somebody who's like was just put in this weird situation who yeah. didn't belong and sort mm-hmm. of, you know because so you didn't want to act in it you were no it was pushy. like the last i mean i was never it was never gonna happen and it was like something about that night before and like you know you're struggling you're working this retail job and and you figure i'm gonna be on set it was it wasn't about the acting part it was really about um i mean i knew how much he wanted me to be in it coupled with the fact that I could afford to stay in LA a little bit longer, mm-hmm. you know? So that's kind of where, and you thought no one would see it. Yeah. I figure. I mean, there's so many movies that get made that are so that just no, you know, nobody ever sees. So right. this one for sure, I thought would, would go that way. And so how come you didn't put, uh, the, uh, the actual dollar amount that he said that he promised you in the book? Um, I, I thought it'd be, it'd be fun for someone to guess. Right. And wonder what. Yeah, no, that's better. <laughs> it's better that way. <laughs> Five dollars. Wow. <laughs> it was eight dollars an hour. Right. <laughs> Larry King. Uh-huh. I got Larry King rates. <laughs> did I hear your voiceover in a commercial recently, or did I imagine that? Um, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Was it? Uh, did you? Did you haven't done any voice work in commercial. Not in a long. Not in a long. Okay. Time. When I was in in San Francisco, when it, right around that time when I came back from Europe, I think I did a few voiceover mm-hmm. things, but not in a long time. Okay. There was a recent one. I could have sworn it was your voice. <laughs> <laughs> I hear Greg's voice in a lot of things. Well, I've listened. To, I mean, I've, the books, the audio book is what, like ten hours. So I've yeah, like a lot. I've listened to like twenty hours of your voice at this wow. point. So I feel like I would have been able. I don't know, okay. thought I would have been able to pick it out, but <laughs> apparently not. Yeah. Oh, I, I've only heard clips of the audio book. I really need to hear. It. They're really funny. When you do Tommy, is amazing. And no one else can do it. It, it has to be you, because yeah. Because um, I think when people do a Tommy voice, it's part mock. But I don't True, think, I yeah. think the way you do it is yeah, like, no, like this is stuck in my head. And plus, like speaking French and like knowing accents mm. from, from my mom, my grandma. I've always just loved his accent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, fed up with his world. It's very <laughs> hypnotic. It, does yeah. Tommy have any plans on writing a book? 
He said he wanted to write his own version and call it the Super Disaster Artist. <laughs> That's great. Um, when that happens. I would love to, no to talk to the ghostwriter and <laughs> see how long before they kill themselves. <laughs> well, it's just funny to me when when there are people like Tommy where, you know, he's got that whole, like, the cop incident in Strasbourg, and he's got this, in, you know, like, three separate crazy immigrant stories. Mm-hmm. Plus, <laughs> plus, like, a rags to riches angle. And yet, like w- when you're like, "Oh, you should write a movie," he's like, "Oh, I write about this guy who, uh, you know, his girlfriend cheats on him, and <laughs> he want his mother-in-law is a bitch." <laughs> yeah, you're I like, "That's the fucking <laughs> story that you wrote." Like how you, like I would kill truth? to have that like life experience yeah, to you'd, draw. Yeah, you'd on. expect like a memento type, intense, oh, yeah. crazy movie out of him, but he kind of took kind of the basic, or, or even just a. Str- I mean, as like a nonfiction writer, like I'm like, "Oh my god." If I had like one fucking one hundredth of your experience, like that's like an instant. I mean, yeah. you, there's so much there. And and he, and then, and he and then he's like, generic American story. Right, in Johnny a, in a and room. Lisa. Yeah, Johnny and Lisa. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like he, you know, you get like the dude from Unbroken, and he writes a book, and it's like C Spot Run. I'm like what the fuck, man? Really? <laughs> But I think that's maybe why it works is it's just so off. From, yeah, I think there's like there's an element where you can like this is all a construct but you realize like there's so much deeper going on there. Yeah. Like you realize like yeah. you wonder like why he's constructed this and what It's you like know. if John Rambo made a family melodrama and it's <laughs> right. like you know was it cousin Vanya or uncle Vanya? Yeah. But it's also kind of the the dangers of like what can happen when we see ourselves as something we're not, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think that is kind of what he sees himself as like, you know, or at the time he saw himself as like a Fabio leading man, mm-hmm. or that's what he wanted to be, and that's what he was going to go for, and so it's kind of you know that's why you have other people balancing you out and being like, no, you know, I want I want to be the starting point guard for the Lakers, I'm going to go for it, you know, mm-hmm. so people kind of reel you back and be like, well, well, you I'm probably not- could now, we're not doing too well. <laughs> Do you think he's become more? I mean, you said he's become more comfortable with people knowing him as him. Do you think he's become more comfortable being that sort of quirky character? That uh, you I know? think so. Yeah, I think um, he's embraced it for the most part. I mean, I, I think he still believes that the room is a, a great movie in the way he intended, and you know, good good for him. I, I guess. still believe it is a great movie. Yeah, I don't really think that the. I don't really believe in being like, oh, it's good because it's bad. It's blah blah. blah. It's like yeah. Well, entertaining's entertaining. It is like, entertaining. Yeah, it, it it achieved. He achieved what he was, what he wanted to achieve. It just in a, in in a different way. Right. But it's the success is still there, and I think you know it's going to be showing now for twelve years. And mm-hmm. oh, I, I was told by Alec Owen that our premiere of, uh, not premiere, excuse me, the cast and crew private screening for Dude Bro was on the same anniversary. Yeah, one yeah. Of the rumors of the release. Yeah, yeah. It showed um June. It, it, it's the the official one's June twenty seventh, but he did do a screening I think that night in Westwood. Holy shit. Yeah, I so think So there's like thirteen year anniversary or something. Twelve, 12 yeah, year? twelve years. Twelve years. So I, I I guess you can't really knock that that people still want to see something twelve years later. Exactly. Right. Oh man. If I yeah, can... and people still care enough to like read books and shit about it. And, yeah. Uh, it will it people will I mean look. I write about it and it's like it, people can never get enough of of the room really it's a rite of passage for filmmakers like oh you <laughs> haven't seen the room you got to see the room it's like this who, is how you make a movie who do you think the you know after the room became sort of this cult phenomenon like who do you think that was hardest on out of the cast um i you know what i think everybody in the cast figured that it was never gonna go anywhere you know after seeing it at the premiere they figured that was it so I think in a weird way, everyone was kind of excited that anything came out of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the whole, the feel that I've gotten from everybody is we're, we did a movie when we were, you know, in our early twenties that we never thought would go anywhere. And now people are watching it. And I think a lot of people have moved on with their lives and they're like, it's just a cool side factor of something that they've done. Mm-hmm. So I think everyone was pretty pretty open with it so didn't sandy write <laughs> things about how he was like the real director or, or yeah maybe he's the one that <laughs> didn't wasn't fond of it um you know i think he's been in the business now for a long time and he's worked on supposedly a lot of respectable projects so maybe it's a little annoying that this filmmaker makes his own movie on his first shot and makes something that people are queuing up to see 
and here he is believing that like he's got talent mm-hmm. he's been around and he's not getting the same kind of credit and so i think that probably annoyed him well i think that he was actually trying to help make the days he's like if i don't help and try to shepherd this guy because i don't think there was an assistant director right it no was, was i mean just, i was just kind of doing everything and i i yeah. didn't have any really film so experience. i was thinking i think that sandy was um trying to just get, make the days and move on and he's like oh tommy obviously needs help so he stepped in and kind of helped him do like rehearsing and just like calling action when Tommy's on set. Yeah. And just just to get Tommy to just finish. Yeah. yeah. And then and then it got to the point where Tommy is too much to work with that he said fuck this and left. And probably that upset Tommy and Tommy took his name off of script supervising I think for the Blu-ray or whatever. But what kind of what's what I think about what I've thought about it all along is why would you ever want credit for that credit for directing this movie <laughs> Do you know what i mean well it sounded like he wanted credit for knowing that it was you know, for knowing that it was a joke like no sort but of it, that that's not true though no because it was taken totally seriously yeah and and it was i mean maybe he, he said he didn't he didn't think it was but it was to be taken seriously by every by by tommy and, and the cast and everything so it wasn't being directed as a comedy right. in any way it was all the that's what makes it work so well is the camera angles are taken so seriously like yeah. it's being shot it's trying to capture the best drama you can mm-hmm. so. I, I heard in a podcast he did where he said oh yeah i knew it was garbage yeah whatever well, i mean who everyone and knew. he made and he said like he made he helped make some of those decisions to make it funny which i i think is awful because you're stepping in and trying to sabotage somebody's movie uh-huh. um and you know he's trying to take credit for that so you're taking credit for being a bad director, you're taking credit for r- trying to ruin <laughs> yeah. somebody's film and a saboteur. Yeah, so yeah. it's just, I think he just has sour grapes. Yeah, I just think you that know could what? be his book, The Saboteur. That'll be the his saboteur. Yeah. I think just just let it go. Let, it, it's an audience movie, right? It's it's only there because creative people found something in it and responded to it, and the people championed it. It's not done by a publicity company. It's the people's movie. Let it mm-hmm. let it go. Right. So I had another friend who uh, I know from comedy up in San Francisco who had, who had worked at Street Fashions for like 10 oh years. Oh, my God. And so when he knew Tommy, apparently he was like Thomas, and he would get mad if you called him Tommy. Like at what point – is that like a stage private thing, or did at some point he decide to switch from one to the other? Yeah, that happened. I, I think I mentioned that yeah. in the book. Like first thing – when I first met him, that's the first thing he said to me. What? Like it was on a business card and I called him Thomas. Mm-hmm. I said, no, not Thomas, Tommy. I think it's just that's at the there came a point in his life where he felt like he was Tommy and Thomas maybe sounded too conservative or too like an well, cause old. A, adult. That, yeah, the I, guy that I knew that worked for me was the reverse. Where if you called him Tommy, he'd be like, no, it's Thomas. Well, yeah, I think there's just a switch, and I mean Tommy's very bold. Like once he makes a decision, that's it. So I yeah. think at that point he was no longer. Thomas, he was Tommy. I wonder what he'll be in a few years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. What does he work? Do you guys know what he's working on now at all? Uh, he's got an idea for a movie called Foreclosure about like the housing crisis. Uh-huh. Is it a doc? No, I think it's a it's a feature. Because um, he did that documentary, Homeless in America, yeah. which was not funny. <laughs> it was yeah. just sad and like, oh, this is <laughs> interviewing homeless people. It was, it was like, oh god. Um, and but, then he did the Neighbors. And so yeah. now he's going to do foreclosure. Interesting. Well, if I you can ever steer him towards doing a, an account of his own life, I think that would be the way to yeah. go. Or uh, or that vampire movie I keep hearing. That's what I think about. would would really be the way to go. The vampire film. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's been talking about that now since since I met him, and mm-hmm. he had ideas even before I met like him. Like the vampire driving off the From roof Alcatraz, in a car. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Someone's just got to give him the money and just say, just give it to him and just. That's you know, that's away. really the right. best way to do it is and to let him. Just, <laughs> but that's yeah, I think that's that'll be the most entertaining is to know that he had creative control. Mm-hmm. Right, Which he did on the room. Yeah, yeah, and that's why it that's why it worked. Yeah. So if I was a, a billionaire and that would be my charity, I'd donate to Tommy and just be like, go ahead, just do it again. Right. <laughs> Whatever or fail, I don't care. And somehow like up, erase his memory of any sort of like novelty fame yeah. and just be like no, be yeah, be 100% a earnest. When too. he's trying to be funny, it's not funny. But when he's trying to be serious, it's like you watch the neighbors now and it's just, it's awful. But <laughs> yeah. the room he's trying he's to be so, sincere. He's so and that's why like every frame of that movie works is cuz you see this guy giving everything he has. Mhm. Yeah. Does his old commercial is that online anywhere? The uh, uh the Shakespeare commercial? No, well, I think 
you know what? I brought a like a VHS of it to to Michael, and he made it into a DVD for me. So yeah. that, that's I, the only. I have word. the file on my computer. I I cut together uh, a doc that I worked with Greg on for the disaster. It's kind of like a promo video that he plays for his book tour. Mm-hmm. Has a lot of footage that no one's ever seen from. Yeah. The BTS and I slipped in the. Um, well, if you ever want to give someone an exclusive, I mean. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> I think Tommy <laughs> found out, and and you you told me I had to take it down. I had a private unlisted uh-huh. link, and I think what happened is some um, reporters got a hold of it, like one guy, and then he just sent it out. And like one week, I came to look back on the video, and it had like three thousand views. I called the room hotline, and it's still, it's still still, still in full effect. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That used to be my old num- phone number living up that phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. What? <laughs> well, I, it was funny because I didn't call it the first time I listened to the book. And then when I was coming down here, I wanted to listen to it again. So I would, like, you know, have everything, like, fresh in my mind. And I was walking through the airport, and I and I finally, like, took down the number and called it to see if it still worked. <laughs> and, yeah, it still works. That's amazing. That's one thing that's great about Tommy, consistency. Like, that <laughs> billboard, five years, oh, that yeah. hotline is, like, 12 years going now. His website looks like it's still from 2001. It's got like windings on it or something. Yeah. Oh my God. God bless him. All right. Well, I think you're, get, we're coming up on your, I, uh, I got to go, out. but I don't, I can, I can just walk away. You guys keep chatting away. I think, uh, I mean, I think we got through what I wanted to get through and, uh, <laughs> we're at my work right now, viewers. I mean, yeah. listeners. Well, we're at my work too. This is, oh shit. You brought <laughs> your work here? My yeah. Work? God damn it. <laughs> I take my work with me. <laughs> um, both of you, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Thank really, you. I had a million questions, and I think uh, we got through most yeah, of them. Most of the, hey, well, you know, part two after Dude Bro premieres. Mm-hmm. Dude Bro Party Massacre 3 at the LA Film Festival. Uh, what, was, uh, what was Tommy's deal with having just expired shit in his fridge? Like, where do you think that comes from? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think it's just one of those things he just kind of gets too lazy to check. And yeah. But he would Hopefully like check it and that. see that it was expired and, still, and put yeah, it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. He did it to maybe, make you maybe stronger. He was saving Greg. it for a midnight snack. Yeah. <laughs> like I wondered if that came from like you know your grandparents who grew up in the depression and they like wouldn't throw anything away. True. Even maybe though, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. He's like, oh, it's not really that expired. Maybe that's what vampires eat. <laughs> expired <laughs> right. milk or carrot juice. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed talking to me as much as I enjoyed interviewing oh. you. Thanks, Definitely. All right. All right, bye. Bye. Hi. You reach hotline for the room. The next screening will take place June 12th and June 13th at uh, Lemney Naho, located at 5240 Lacker Boulevard, North Hollywood, zip code 91601. This is 12th anniversary of the room. Hopefully, you can attend the screening of the room. I'll be there in person. Uh, for Q&A, also be screened The Neighbors. Please go to www.theroommovie.com or tommywazza.com. Thank you very much. I love you all.